along with, again, COVID, I was on autopilot. And then one day, I remember just walking around spontaneously crying and not knowing it. Tears streamed down. I was like, okay, something's not right. Something's not good. You know, and I felt like every day I was working, um, not working, but uh, waking up in this darkness every day. Hey, and this is Tanya, so welcome back to The Coat. Today you'll be listening to my story on Confessions of a Therapist, where I tell you about my motivation for starting this podcast. So thanks for tuning in for the next two episodes, Confessions of a Therapist. Hello, and thanks for tuning in. This is The Coat, Confessions of a Therapist, and I am Tanya Logan, your host. And today, I have a good friend and colleague, Mr. Carl Boone, joining me today. Uh, We're going to talk about what brought me to this podcast and why did I create it. So let's get it started. Good morning. So I'm honored to be here with you today, and I'm honored to be the one to have to ask you these questions to get all of this wonderful information from you. And so with no further ado, I wanted to start out by simply asking, why this podcast? (sighs) Why this podcast? So as you know, these particular episodes are going to be called the COVID Chronicles. So for me, at the beginning of the pandemic, it also came with my mom experiencing an emergency health uh, episode, I guess we could call it. And from that, it just spiraled. Um, So many things started to happen. COVID happened. Isolation happened. And I started experiencing these things that I had never experienced, whether it being my own isolation, um, taking care of a parent that could not take care of themselves, friends and family passing and things like that. And then I found myself in a place where I felt like I wasn't coping. So I needed this cathartic outlet. So here we are, the COVID Chronicles, Confessions of a Therapist. Thank you for that. So so thank you for sharing how you begin to experience the impact of COVID. It looks like it hit straight personally from home immediately for you. Uh, But I also understand, because I know you, that you were also actively uh, attempting to provide the best service you could provide for individuals in the workplace. So how were you able to navigate that? Uh, That's question one. Let's do that. How were you able to navigate that? I don't know if I was navigating it. I think early on, it was kind of second nature, just doing what I would say muscle memory, you know, my day-to-day job, you know, working with um, justice involved youth. So that's what I was doing before I transitioned to a new position. But with that, I was already feeling like this was no longer the place for me at that position. But then right in that place where I started questioning my uh, ability to be effective, I was like, okay, am I still am I still passionate about what I'm doing here or not? At the same time, my mom experienced two strokes back to back, so all of a sudden I had to refocus that energy. So it's it's it was two things happening at the same time. So, yeah. Interesting, interesting. May I push a little bit? Yes, you can. Thank you so much. <laughs> So because I know you and your passion to to, to provide service uh, and support for others, 
what were the indicators to you? I, I heard you talk about questioning yourself at some point about whether or not you could be as present and effective. Uh, but every time you come to work, you saw the needs of others while you were also experiencing uh, not as much support for yourself due to COVID. How did you find a balance between leaving a lot of the support that you know was needed at your job and then beginning to take care of the support that you needed yourself? Okay, so walking in every day um, is, wasn't the issue. It was getting there. So mm. if I'm at home and I had to think about going to work, it became very daunting to me mm. because I didn't feel like we were affecting the change that I thought we could for these youth that would involved justicely, you know, if that's a word, if, you know, just mm -hmm. criminally involved. Mm -hmm. And so when you see the possibilities just, just not being tapped into, that would have me struggling getting out of the bed. Mm. So that's the initial. But when I would walk in the building and then seeing all these, these kids, I mean, that would give me that energy I would need to get through the day. Mm -hmm. Then experiencing my mom's uh, medical emergency, I don't think I had time to really think about it because my brother had checked out. Mm -hmm. So it was nobody else. So it was kind of forced upon me. So it was like, it wasn't really a choice. Mm -hmm. So I had to push on whether I had support or not to answer your question. Mm -hmm. And, you know, still while questioning, okay, professionally, who am I at this point mm -hmm. while experiencing this new pandemic, you know, you know, in our age, we had never experienced anything like that. You know, yeah. I'm in my forties. You, I don't, we ain't gonna tell how old you are, but, you. <laughs> but you know, we've never experienced a pandemic mm -hmm. before. So just navigating that with navigating, uh, taking care of somebody that couldn't take care of themselves mm -hmm. so without support. Yeah, that's a lot. That's that's really a lot. And as you were talking, I was thinking about your level of resiliency that has come from everything that you've already gone through as a, a professional and personal, uh, your personal life experiences. I'm wondering what would support have looked like? Because I know we're talking from hindsight. So while you were actively involved with being as present for your mom, uh, experiencing these new feelings uh, in your work environment and not feeling as stable, so to speak, uh, as you navigated these new places, when did you become aware that maybe there were some real gaps in, in the support that you needed professionally first and then personally? Uh, professionally, I remember uh, calling my boss and telling her what happened. And, and you can tell when things are just like, uh, how do you say it? I'm going to say what I should say, not that I'm really concerned. Immediately, I felt like she wanted me to let her off the hook, too. She was like, um, so, Tanya, you know, do you want me to tell the team? <laughs> it was that tone. Do you want me to tell the team that what you're going through? I was like, well, you know, it's it's really up to you. And, I, you know, I had checked out at this point. I was so exhausted. I had been back and forth to the hospital. So I think it was this okay, I want to see if she'll let me off the hook so I, we don't have to be here for that support. Or some people are just comfortable, uncomfortable with that for mm -hmm. whatever reason. So I didn't feel that that support from the work environment almost immediately. And then when I saw what my mom was facing, I immediately had to put in family leave. So mm -hmm. I was gone for three months. Mm -hmm. So And then nobody checked on me, not from work. Mm -hmm. So... 
I didn't feel that support, which was fine. Um, because there is uh, a balance there or boundaries and limits, you know, that mm-hmm. you have to establish whether you have those relationships or not that are outside or inside um, the workplace. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, so once you made a decision to disconnect from work, because of course the priority of you being there to support your mom took precedence, uh, all the while understanding that, that you were more and more depleted. Uh, so you were pouring out as much as you had left into mom. Uh, how did you become aware? What, what were some of the signs that, uh, your tank was becoming empty? How did you know that while you were also doing a good thing and being present to support your mom? How did you find that out? What were the indicators? I don't think I knew, uh, early on. I think that was part of the issue, uh, the latter part of, um, 2020. I think around September, no, actually before that, around near my birthday, actually, I found like I wasn't functioning very well. So I think I was on autopilot for a long time. I was in the process of buying a house. All these things were happening at the same time. My uncle that raised me, um, which I see as my dad, he was getting really sick and then he had eventually passed. Mm. So all those things happened at the same time, along with, again, COVID, mm-hmm. I was on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And then one day I remember just walking around spontaneously crying and not knowing it. Mm-hmm. Tears streamed down. I was like, okay, something's not right. Mm-hmm. Something's not good. You know? And I felt like every day I was work, welcome to, um, not welcome, but, uh, waking up in this darkness mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. so it was later it was much later when i was like okay you're not you're not doing well mm-hmm. so thank you for that uh you know i pay incredible attention to every word that a human being <laughs> is saying and so i'm going to go back to this word isolation because ultimately one of the biggest impacts of COVID was this this wedge uh created uh, which impacted people's inabil- uh, ability to socialize and, and feel supported. So while you were experiencing that, and, and another thing you said, you talked about the experiences of others, you know, so you had other colleagues who were also experiencing this, and we know that everyone has different coping levels. So I'm pretty interested in, in, in trying to understand when you experienced this isolation, uh, how was it that you lean strictly on yourself. You talked about being in uh, survival mode. That's what I like to call it. When did you get to a point where there was some connectivity with another human being around what you were feeling? So I think initially um, it was my best friend early on. Um, So I stayed connected to her. We talked almost daily and Another close friend of mine that we've been friends for years, um, my friend Wayne, and having that day-to-day connection was good. But at the same time, you can't physically connect with people because, of course, they have families, too. They have to keep safe. Now, me and my best friend, we would still meet up at times because we were all taking, like, COVID tests every week because of my job. I had to make sure I was tested because of the environment that I worked in. Mm -hmm. And I had to take the um, COVID test regularly because of my mom, mm-hmm. because she just experienced strokes and she was on that high risk list for numerous things outside the stroke also. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that connection with those two people was helpful. 
but beyond that, I didn't have much more than that. Um, my brother checked out. Mm -hmm. uh, my brother only came to the hospital one time. When my mom was there. She was there for 30 days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when it came, it came to planning her discharge and what that looked like, the long-term care or getting her back to some resilient resemblance of who she was mm -hmm. um, or what she can do. I didn't have any support. And then I became the bad guy. So, but that's another conversation, you know, okay. how family would treat you, you know, when yes. you're trying to do the best you can. So, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. As you were talking, I was thinking about this word intrapersonal uh, development and you know me very well. And I, I feel like a lot of us professionals, even though we are assigned to provide service for others, we tend to neglect the work we need to continue to do on ourselves. Mm -hmm. In an environment that's also impacted by COVID, looking back on yourself pre-COVID and going into COVID and the things you experienced, what would you have liked to see differently in terms of the support? Uh, so I'm usually that friend that checks on everybody, uh, whether it's at work or at home. I'm one of those people that check in all the time. And people tend to think that those type of people don't need help. I would have mm. loved for somebody, whether it was French friends or family or colleagues to say, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And be really, really interested in how you doing. Mm -hmm. And um, I would have liked to have seen that. Um, yeah. I would have liked to have the support of my sibling, mm -hmm. you know, of course, because he, I mean, he, everybody knows, but I, I ain't gonna say everybody, but definitely, you know, cause mm -hmm. you know me. Um, People know that I don't have the best relationship with, with my mom. Mm -hmm. So navigating that relationship along with taking care of her and making sure she has the best uh, treatment, for like it was physical therapy and all these other things, these moving parts that she needed to get back to, you know, being mobile. Mm -hmm. And just, I think I felt like I was re-experiencing a form of trauma because that's how my aunt died mm. from the, you know, from the effects of her stroke. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, once again, my aunt and uncle were like my parents and I was the closest to them. So I felt like I was re-experiencing that trauma. Mm -hmm. So I wish somebody had just checked in. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Mm, that's really, really good. Thank you for that, that honesty. Looking back, I know that you realize different coping levels for each individual. And I know that you care a lot for individuals. So did you reconcile the people around you and their inability to be present, like you just said, based on what you yourself were experiencing? And if you did, what can we do differently to make us all more aware of that need to be present for other people in an environment like this? I did. I think I was able to reconcile because I, I don't think I could function if I hadn't, because I would have been really, really focused on being angry and bitter mm -hmm. and uh, find, assigning blame and different things like that. Mm -hmm. I would have wasted a lot of energy there. Mm -hmm. So since I, I think I got to a place where like, this is the best they can do, mm -hmm. but also not wanting to let them off the hook either because I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to expect. How do you take care of a parent that you know has just spit so much vitriol towards you before and just being able to put that aside and do what you need to do for it. So I think you have to have that, that bipolar 
kind of attitude, you know? So it's like, okay, I understand it's the best they can do, but at the same time, should you let them off the hook? So yeah, at some point I did reconcile their behavior and what I expected or what my expectations were. And moving forward, I think, what could they do better? Um, I just step outside yourself. And I think if people didn't learn that, stop moving in this individualistic mindset through during COVID, that's really, really sad. So I would think that people just step outside themselves and in some cases just stop being selfish. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You you're causing them to just flow now. We can do this all night. So <laughs> okay. so let let me thank you again. Uh and, and to be open and honest about struggling with doing the right thing for individuals who have may may, may have not been able to do that for you is is really uh an incredible uh honor to, to hear you say that. You're really talking about a principle. Mm-hmm. You're committing yourself to a principle where someone may not have earned it, but then they can't unearn it. It's something that you're just going to do. So I really love that. I want to switch right back over to your professional environment, because it seems like you came within yourself on this journey and you saw a lot of what you were, what you were not, what was present, what wasn't, what you would have liked to have been present. And I'm going to go back to the various coping levels uh, again. Were you, after realizing what was going on in you, were you able to start to notice the impacts it was having on your professional environment, oh. baselines of individuals that were different? Oh, absolutely. Um, I know when I returned back to work, it it wasn't about the lack of support because by the time I returned back to work, I knew I was going to get it, mm-hmm. which was fine with me. But I knew that I wasn't functioning on the best level. And I'm good at Mm self-reflection. But like Mm -hmm. I said, I was on autopilot because Mm -hmm. I had to be. Like, okay, you don't have time to sit around and feel sorry for yourself. You don't have time not to get things done. Because once again, I was buying a house. I was taking care of my mom. My uncle at this point, by the time I had returned back to work and I was virtual at the Mm -hmm. time, Mm -hmm. uh, but doing telework, my uncle passed. Mm. So that happened too. So what happened was I felt like I started to um, experience depression. Mm. I started feeling foggy. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't make decisions. Some of my decisions was getting jumbled up. So I started um, meditating. Mm-hmm. So I did go back to some of the things that I knew. Okay. So I started meditating. Um, but at the same time, when my uncle passed, I didn't get out the bed for a whole week. Mm. I was allowed to do that because I could sit it in the bed and just telework. Mm-hmm. That was easy. Um, some relief came in hearing some of my kids' voices, you know, giving them therapy over the phone or mm-hmm. risk assessments and things like that. So I got to hear that side and their excitement from hearing, okay, this is Miss Logan. Mm-hmm. So that was another coping skill, surprisingly, um, at being at home teleworking. And um, I started exercising. But at the same time, I would find myself in these dark places, these dark places back to back. And um, I don't know if I found anything to really address that immediately. Okay. And um, at the same time, I when I bought my house, I moved in the house and I think it was like a month later. And I felt ex- this extreme crushing feeling 
of loneliness. Mm. And I was in here crying. I was like, oh my God, I'm in this house by myself. Like, where are my relationships? Where are the, the relationships that I should have? And, you know, just the relationship I should have with my sibling and the relationship I should have with my mom and all these different things. So I think that came crushing down on me. So at this point, I wasn't coping at all. Mm-hmm. By the time I moved in, mm-hmm. I wasn't coping. And um, I remember feeling like I was just sliding mm-hmm. versus deciding. Mm. So at at some point around in July, I wasn't really coping at all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. And that just makes me want to pause. And I, I like silence. I think that experience was probably typical of so many of us uh professionals and personally the awareness i'm i'm thinking could be differently across the board it seems like you became a little bit more aware as time went on as you experienced these things which gave you a little bit of insight yeah because they were all new it was like where is this place Mm -hmm. like where am i like i've never had dark thoughts Mm -hmm. uh i've never felt we all feel these periods of loneliness, but I never felt alone. I mm-hmm. felt alone. Mm-hmm. And then not wanting to get out of bed. And the only thing that got me out of bed because I had a new mortgage, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was just all this this new stuff that was happening. And it just didn't, I didn't feel like myself. I felt like I was out of equilibrium. I felt off balance in so many different ways. Um yeah mm. so i think it was the newness of all these emotions and even behaviors mm-hmm. so yeah yeah as you were talking i was thinking about there were so many different extremes to that individuals had <clears throat> such a hard time adjusting to this way of life some of those unfortunately ended in the taking of their own lives exactly uh impulse decisions that impacted people negatively and and, and a lot of violent things that were going on thinking going back to your work environment while you were experiencing that and then you became aware of the people working with you in their own experiences and as you begin to try to create space to understand the experiences of other people what do you think would have been most impactful for you guys as as professionals to set aside some time and maybe look at how you guys were showing up um you know everything at this point was doing was being done via zoom Mm -hmm. so just having just that virtual time that team check-in like Mm -hmm. okay how's everybody doing not a staff meeting Mm -hmm. just a weekly check-in like how's everybody doing Mm -hmm. i mean you could have they could have done a virtual retreat i think that would have been amazing to figure out Mm -hmm. how to do a virtual retreat and um and just being not empathetic because i think we get into this mode like i can empathize with but you really can't especially during a pandemic can you really empathize with somebody because these experiences are so new and something that you have never heard of before. So just being compassionate and showing that compassion and just showing up sometimes is that compassion in that real sense, not just because it's what you should do, you know, mm-hmm. as, as a colleague, as a supervisor, anything like that, just really showing up. And I saw where I worked at in so many different departments, just the morale just 
go down to like zero because of that. Because because people will work in, you know, when you work in an environment that where you're essential, you don't get a chance to say, I can't come to work. And I was essential, you mm-hmm. know. So we didn't couldn't just show up. Our telework was very short. Mm-hmm. Um and those people that experience burnout, those people that experience loss and things like that, I think just showing up in those new ways, finding new ways to show up and be supportive for your staff. I think just being a little bit more creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Okay. Good, 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 good stuff. Good stuff. So bringing it to today, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you were intentional about to help you navigate towards a, a healthier space uh, in your decision-making and the way you process your feelings? What are a couple of things that you can point to as you learn through COVID? And now we're two, almost three years uh, in or hopefully through it. What would you say are some of the things that you can point to to say, okay, I'm very intentional about this, that or the other to to make sure I stay on an even keel, so to speak? I think definitely I'm really, really intentional about who I engage or create and maintain relationships with. Oh, okay. I'm very intentional. Not that I haven't been in before, but I'm being a lot more specific of what I need in my relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's family, friends, personal, you know, intimate relationships, I'm being very, very intentional and just creating those boundaries uh, for myself and for that other person, you know, what they, what I need from them you know, for us to function. So I think that's that's the biggest thing, being more intentional in my relationships. Um, creating space and time to do meditation. Uh, I think that's been the biggest thing. Um, I'm still learning. I'm really still learning. Beautiful. Yeah, because I think this pandemic has been made things like, uh, at first it felt like a sprint. And now I feel like we're at this place where we can kind of pace ourselves. So I'm doing the same thing for Mm -hmm. myself. So just trying to find that rhythm, trying to find that balance that works best for me. Um, And even just cutting off toxic relationships, whether it's family or friends. I'm Mm -hmm. really, I think in my 20s, I was very intentional and almost brutal in some ways of, you know, just cutting <laughs> off relationships. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now I'm just very more intentional in those actions and what that looks like. Uh, just cutting that toxicity out of my life. Um, just being peaceful, I think. So. Mm. Thank you. And that's interesting that you went towards, uh, and I'll look at strength-based and deficit-based. You kind of highlighted, you know, your your awareness of what deficits could be mm-hmm. and the efforts you would take to to kind of remove those things. So I want to reverse it. What have you realized you could do more of to help increase the quality of those spaces? Let's say you've already removed the toxicity and those things. What could Miss Logan do better within herself to bring the best version of her? to those relationships to, to, to benefit more and have the other person benefit more? Um, I just think just communicating really, really early on where I am 
Mm. Um, if that was even possible. Okay. So at the same time, I don't know if that was even possible at some points. But when I did find out what I needed or where I was struggling, I just communicating that early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and just not having expectations. I think for the first time in my life, I had expectations in my relationships. Mm. And I'm not, I don't usually do that. You know, whatever people bring, they bring. But I think I had expectations and I think it may be may have been unrealistic expectations of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you're suffering or you felt like you're not being your best self, you have a way of putting that responsibility on other people. Mm. Yeah. That's nice. Can I push a little bit? Oh, okay. Just Go a little bit. Go ahead push. <laughs> Expectation versus standard here uh, and COVID. So we have... Uh, this adjusted reality that that's COVID, which continues to look differently day by day, month by month. Then you have this acknowledgement and thank you for being honest about uh, having maybe unrealistic expectations of others. But then as you evolve, you are now realizing that you have to set a bar as it relates to your own standards, right? So how did you manage between, when did you know it was about your standard versus an expectation that you may have had for someone else, if in fact they don't line up. Hello and welcome back to the Cope. I appreciate you for tuning in. This is Tanya Logan and I'm your host for Confessions of a Therapist. And this is part two of my interview with Mr. Carl Boone. He is interviewing me to get a better understanding why I created this podcast. So let's jump back in where we started. And again, this is Mr. Boone. All righty. Thank you for having me back again. Uh, so I wanted to just come back and reiterate the question to make sure we were still on point. Um, the question was related to your earlier statement around uh, realizing that you had expectations for individuals and probably how some of them were unrealistic. And of course, without you saying it, it you can obviously be said that there were some consequences naturally for you realizing that, which was great for you. And so then I wanted to ask you, uh, you, you now have a new standard for what you want in your life. You talked about toxicity being removed. There's an intention with that. How do you now balance what your standards are versus the expectations that you would have for individuals coming into your life? Um, so I just reverted back to who I am naturally and just not having expectations. Um, I think expectations sets you up for a sense of sadness and uh, disappointment and things like that. So I have removed that aspect again from my life, having expectation. Do I have a standard for myself? Yes. I have a standard as I show up as a friend, as I show up as a mother, as a daughter, a sister. I have those standards for myself and just continuing on that trajectory of who I am naturally. And then you have to place people ourselves, say, on different shelves based on what they give you back. And um, because then you can't keep filling up somebody else's cup that's not filling up yours. Mm. So and that way you don't have these unrealistic or realistic expectations. Mm. So, I, you know, based on what they give back, I just put them on that shelf. Um, I think as a mother, you never stop giving. But mm-hmm. even that, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, your kids can can drain you. So, mm-hmm. and then based on you have to have a level of self care. even with that, so 
I think for me, it's just not having any expectations and showing up who I am naturally and just not deviating from that at all. So thank you for that. And I, and I think the interesting part with that is that having standards will has natural consequences for those anyway. If mm-hmm. I choose to live a certain way, if I choose to, to create a certain pro-social environment, there are going to be some people who fall in that space and who fall out of it. Exactly. So we don't have to necessarily attach the word, you know, you not living up to my expectations because mm-hmm. I have my own standard. And so yeah. I love that. And I love that you talked about different shelves. So I think uh, understanding where people are and where they're not allows you to not fall into being let down or, exactly. or having a disappointment or what have you. And so that's really, really, really good that you've gotten to that place. Uh, let's talk a little bit about one of the main impacts of this COVID that I that I think came out of everything you said, and that was you got to a place of real tough depression. Yeah. Uh, and so as a professional, again, you are tasked with helping individuals identify these things in themselves and then to put actionable steps in place to to help guide them out of it but now you yourself are experiencing this talk to us a little bit about that experience so i think we touched on a little bit earlier when you were talking about the professional and how the professional aspect and how me not coping well showed up Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i remember being on a zoom and and this is like uh i guess a series of unfortunate events um I came home for lunch because they had this flood watch. And of course, this is a new house. I don't know how to navigate certain things. Mm -hmm. And I came home to a flood and my basement had flooded. And I was glad I had came home. Some say, go check your house. Mm. At the same time, I was scheduled to be on a virtual um, individual therapy with this um, therapist, well, psychiatrist at that. I think she's a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Um, That I found to start to navigate through whatever this new experience of depression was for me. At the same time, if that wasn't enough, um, I was supposed to be on this uh, quarterly meeting uh, Zoom uh, with my um, clinical team. Mm -hmm. So my director and everybody was on there and I was supposed to end that call and not know I was on my therapy call and they could hear me. Mm. And thank God that my director at the time had kicked me out of the Zoom room. Okay. Um, because not that they would have heard anything that anything bad, but you don't want anybody hearing like your personal information and things like that. But even what I would have shared probably wouldn't have been anything detrimental, but at the same time. So just not being able to navigate those three things at the same time or thinking clearly. Remember mm-hmm. I told you earlier, I had started to feel foggy, mm-hmm. not being able to get my thoughts together as quickly as I felt like I had done in the past. Mm-hmm. So I think that was my first or second session with the therapist because I started feeling sad all the time and I wasn't functioning well. I wasn't leaving the house as much. Um, I just wanted to sleep. Mm-hmm. When I wasn't working, I just wanted to come home and get in the bed. Mm-hmm. And um, I had just experienced a breakup too. 
Okay. So all these things. Yeah. I mean, you know, just all this stuff happening at the same time. And found this great therapist. <laughs> um, you know, you online looking for people and you go, well, what would be the best fit? So my doctor, my primary care doctor, she's like, well, Tanya, at this point, you're primarily listening, looking for somebody that does really, really well with grief and loss. She said, I think that's the main issue right now for you. Um, she said, I don't think that this feeling of depression is going to stay. She said, I think you just really not need to learn how to navigate this new normal for you and this loss of people that were very important to you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so um, the depression itself, it was just, it was heavy. It was heavy. It was new. Um, it was just uh, unusual in some ways. I guess like, what is this? I've never, I don't know. But yeah, no, that's good, and I, I really appreciate your authenticity around that. I didn't look for a fluid answer. I thought that you would have to really think on it and just kind of go back and, and re-experience a little bit of what that was like for you. Uh, which leads me to this next question. Of course, as a professional, and, and you're definitely that. You, when we talk about the stages of change, and so when once you became aware that you were actively in a depressive state mm-hmm. uh what did it look like for you as you begin to come out of it like what were some of the indicators you talked about being in the bed a lot you talked about navigating breakups you know your family situations the work and, and the, the the constant ask from your employers when did you start to feel like there was some relief coming and how did that show up for you uh for me it showed up in a peculiar way, um, just having that outlet to really talk about what I was feeling uh, with my therapist. Also, you know, God, you know, I'm a um, spiritual person, so I'll put that out there. Mm-hmm. I feel like God puts people in your in your life during seasons when you need them. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I really feel like this. Uh, I reconnected with this friend of mine on LinkedIn of all places. Mm-hmm. Hadn't seen this person like 20 something years. Mm-hmm. And we reconnected and we had been talking. It felt like that was the relief or the distraction that I needed mm-hmm. at the time. So I think that helped. And I also was on my doctor prescribed uh, antidepressant. Okay. So I, I started taking an antidepressant for three months but made a a really, really strict decision that I was not going into 2021 on an antidepressant. And that's just for me. That's Mm -hmm, not for mm -hmm, everyone. mm -hmm. Um, I felt like I needed that temporary relief. Um, So I think I was on antidepressants for three months. Mm -hmm. And by the time the Christmas holiday came around, I was just in a better place. So I was winged off that by Christmas and just really felt like I was coming back into myself. Um, by January. Nice. So that, I guess that combination of having, again, those, uh, my friend Wayne and my best friend at the time, and then God putting that person there as a distraction. Um, and, and thankfully a healthy, um, distraction at the time with the help of my therapist and being very honest about where I was, um, mentally, emotionally, 
And sometimes it would show up physically. Um, I felt like I was um, constantly in pain sometimes. Mm. Like, and I knew it was mental. It was like in physical pain sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, just being honest about where I was and, and seeking that help, being very open with my primary care, being very open with my therapist, um, and just tapping into those resources, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Well, this is this is good. I want. I would love to take this thing. We could do this for ten hours. This is so <laughs> so so important. Uh, so, thank God that you were able to identify with what was going on and had a wherewithal to reach out and connect with some meaningful supportive services that you know got you to a better place. In an environment where most professionals uh, are there to help, quote unquote, fix Mm -hmm. other individuals. Uh, And you know that a lot of us are thoroughly attached to that uh, place where we are the fixers or we are the, the supporters. What would you say to individuals who have a hard time acknowledging that they're in a place where they now need a bunch of support. Because I know that we've experienced, and I know I have, what would your advice be to the professionals who are are in survival mode, who have not yet uh, set aside time to experience maybe what's going on inside of them because they are so still focused on showing up to be the best version of themselves? with what you've gone through, what advice would you give them? I think that a a lot of clinicians um, did not realize what they were going through because it took me a while to find out what it was because I knew it wasn't burnout. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is not burnout. Mm -hmm. And I came across this term called pandemic fatigue. Mm. And I think that's what um, I was, and I want to give you the the correct definition of it. Please. Give me a second. Sure, sure. So... Because I kept saying, burnout is not it. Like, this is not what I'm experiencing. It's something else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So pandemic fatigue is a reaction to a sustained and unresolved adversity, which may lead to the complacency, alienation, and hopelessness emerging gradually over time and affected by a number of emotions, experiences, and perceptions that are not known to you. So I was like, that is what I would experience. I think just identifying what you're experiencing. Is it this this new pandemic fatigue? Is it burnout? Is it compassion fatigue? Have you given too much of yourself? And and now you became kind of like you've checked out. Like, I don't have any more for anybody. So I think just starting there. And then if you have a strong support system, listen to them. Mm-hmm. When they tell you this is what they're seeing, like this is what you look like in these spaces and things like that. Mm. And lastly, once you get that feedback or if you do your own self-reflection, because I had to do a lot of self-reflection through my journaling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just um, daily describing where I was, like how, how do I show up this morning? I mean, from the moment I would wake up. Like, what is this feeling and, and deciding what that looked like? And at the end of the day, did it look differently? Mm-hmm. So I think doing that self-reflection, doing that self-evaluation 
and then doing something about it. Whatever mm. that looks like for you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine. It's something like you said, those coping mechanisms, um, therapy, uh, yoga, meditation, um, supervision, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like, um, just finding that help and not thinking that you're above that or, oh, I can't, this can't be me mm-hmm. because we are human. So, I mean, because I tell you, humanity, boy, it's something else. I think this pandemic has really shown us what our humanity is or lack thereof. So, yeah. That's beautiful. I, I heard humility, the need for that, uh, so important. But ultimately, I heard the importance of people. Like, there's nothing yeah. more on this earth more important than people. And I think if nothing else, COVID has exposed individuals who may have relied more on external things Mm. to help validate who they were and then this real absence of that social contact right has started to impact individuals so i'm so glad that you brought that out uh so what would you do to promote this in the workplace if you're in a workplace and you're not seeing this happen where the norm is still pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, it's a job, come to work to do your job. And you know now that this pandemic, based on that definition, is mm-hmm. definitely impacting us. What, what what would promoting that look like for you? So, you know what I did not find helpful, and I'll definitely answer your question, but that that constant push for EAP. Okay, mm. what the hell is that mm-hmm. in a time of a pandemic when everything is so new, it's so unsettling, it's uh, it's just un- constant uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, employee assistant program, okay, what does that mean for somebody that has experienced multiple losses, have lost their job and things like, what is EAP going to do for you when that happens? So I think as professionals, like I said, just re, in this case, reinvent the wheel mm-hmm. because we had to do that in so many uh, places in the workplace or how we do work, how we go about our business. I think that people need to reinvent the wheel, how you keep your organization or your business healthy, mm-hmm. because those people that walk in those doors every day, whether it's physically or virtually, they keep your business running. So you have to find a way to keep them emotionally and physically and mentally healthy Mm -hmm. um so i think like i said just doing virtual retreats Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. doing a virtual check-in and not at a staff meeting just scheduling time for that um doing some outdoor stuff going for a walk okay send out a team's blurb let's go on a 15 minute walk Mm -hmm. you know i mean Mm -hmm. we can find so much time to do nonsense sometimes at our desk Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um we'll be on uh what shopping networks or whatever shopping websites things Mm -hmm. like that so i think as a manager or even just as a staff member suggesting that just being real real creative Mm -hmm. and checking in and make sure everybody's okay that's you know that would be my suggestion so you know, and a lot of people don't think that's their responsibility, but but when you look at the cost analysis of how it you know costs your organization in the end, when people are calling out or they're sick and things like that, so fifteen minutes is not going to cost you anything, but it can cost you a person's life because at my organization that I was at before I left, we had a coworker um, that I think this was their fourth time having COVID. But 
this person collapsed at work from an aneurysm. And people don't know, there were so many long-term effects from contact, you know, contracting COVID. Mm -hmm. And then just having that stress of being an essential worker, I think was compounded because from my understanding, she started to ask for support because she felt so overwhelmed. All of those things, just checking in and make sure everybody's okay or making sure that they're taking care of their physical health. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just say, hey, how are you doing today? You just never know what could come out of that, Mm. you know. Um, Just experiencing that loss at work, just a check-in. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. That's beautiful. As you were talking, I was thinking again about making people the most important thing in this this life. And, Mm -hmm. and, And a lot of times that's what leadership and an environment should look like. Yeah. You know, we talk about servant leadership and, and knowing how to lead with imperfections. And I think even for individuals tasked to provide EAP for their supporters to even acknowledge, oh, hey, yeah. we're all in an unprecedented space, right? Yeah. So how about let's just create space for what we don't know? Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I love that. That That is very refreshing. And I hope that any of uh, the individuals listening will challenge themselves to help create that environment uh, for, for the individuals that they work with and live with and support and or love. And so uh, one of the f- most exciting parts of this uh, is to talk about the Coke questions. Yes, the Coke questions. This is how we close out our episode. So since we had my second episode, this will be me closing out. So I invite you to give me your Coke question. Yes, yes. And I, I'm so happy. I'm smiling to just be able to give these. <laughs> well, because you've done a great job of talking through this, of being really, really honest about what the impact was, uh, you not knowing what it was and then learning slowly what it was, uh, partnering with these parts of yourself that were uncomfortable, that did not reflect who you have been professionally and personally, mm-hmm. but then staying uh, open for the support and, and wanting to get out of it and then patiently progressing to a place where you are today, full of smiles and, and hope and, and, and giving it back to other people. So I'm really, really happy for that. And so my first, uh, the C in this Coke question, I would, I would ask you, uh, you did a good job of showing it, but I want you to verbalize what does compassion look like for you now, as you've navigated the individuals you were, you were serving and are serving, uh, the, the peers that you work with, who you attempt to serve and support, but then also learning how to now, serve yourself and, and create space for that self-care and stuff for you. So what would you say these experiences have uh, impacted in your life as it relates to compassion? Uh, I think really having compassion for myself at these changes that I might experience and that I have experienced. Like you always can put yourself in somebody else's position or when you see them suffering, like you can you can impart that compassion, but reminding myself to be compassionate for compassionate to myself. Um, just, just saying you're not okay today and it's okay. So that's my, just finding self-compassion and balancing that. Yeah. And being okay with that. Yeah. That's nice. As you were saying that I was thinking about once you realize the need that you had yourself, when you interact with other people, you can see yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, that is beautiful. Yeah. 
That is beautiful. That is that is really, really good. And I think that'll continue to go a long, long way. And to your point, each person that is blessed enough to come in contact with someone who is now in that place, they will be able to benefit from that compassion. So thank you for that. Uh, okay. And so the Owen Coat, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, how your this new landscape of what you observe, uh, how has it impacted your decision making? And I think, uh, again, the journey that you have been on yourself, watching yourself adjust, watching yourself uh, maybe not do so good at being present, uh, falling into depression, coming out of depression with the support of others, uh, accepting new normals for what is and what isn't in your life, personally, professionally. How has that impacted the way you observe life and experience life today? Um, I think for me, it's really observing how I view time and how others view time. Mm. Um especially the pandemic, I think so many people uh, left this world so unexpectedly and through COVID and just out of just odd ways. I remember being on social media. I had to stop being on social media because people were just dying everywhere, just unexpectedly in different ages, like uh, very young, like people that I went to school with were dying in their 40s and people down in their 30s, just unexpectedly. So, so me just really respecting time mm. and observing how people have not learned that, at least that lesson through, through COVID. Mm. So, yeah. So I don't want to focus too much because these are supposed to be rapid fire questions. I don't want to think too much on it. So, that was good. That yeah. was really good. Thank you for that. Okay. And so for the A, I think this is the absolute best one. It just stands <laughs> the test of time. Learning who you are now, growing into this person, going through everything you've gone through and still evolving as you try to create a safer space for you in your life. What does authenticity look like for Miss Logan today versus what it looked like pre- COVID? Um, like I said, just being my true self in all my relationships and not changing based on what I felt like I was receiving. So because the first time I felt like I was changing based on that. And so that in itself was not me being my authentic self. Mm. So moving forward, my authentic self is moving how Tanya moves. Mm. And I feel like I'm my best person when I'm doing that. So I'm my authentic self in all relationships. Um, I'm fully transparent. And that's where I'm just going to stay. Yeah. Mm, so. This is a, a, a 1A, 1B question. Okay. And how does that feel for you now? It feels more like myself. I felt like I'm back in, in my equilibrium. I feel like I'm more balanced now. And I think I can blame on the pandemic, but at the same time, I think it came out of having expectations that I altered parts of myself. So I'm not doing that anymore. Mm, so, yeah. Wow. And you see, you, you all couldn't see it. She gave me a slight smile <laughs> as she said that she's not going to do that anymore. So that's that conviction that'll go a long way. Thank you for that. And the last one, the T, you mentioned it earlier, but I want to take a deeper dive into time. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, with everything we've experienced, you've experienced with COVID, the loss of life, individual various coping levels, the suffering, uh, because not everyone is as fortunate as you to set aside time to look within yourself, to realize you were not enough 
to yeah. get you out of a place. Some people are not there yet. And so witnessing that, what would you say is your intention around maximizing these precious 24 hours that you're given each day? I'm very intentional now when I get up in the morning. Um, even I remember listening to this podcast and they said, you should be intentional and put love and effort to everything you do. Mm. So in the morning time, it's like even when I make up my bed, the time that two minutes or whatever, I make sure I put care into that. Mm. I make sure I put care into making a phone call to a friend. Mm -hmm. I'm more intentional about that because like you said, I mean, time is, it's not infinite for us because mm -hmm. we're running out of town as we speak. Mm -hmm. So I choose how I spend my time. I choose the intentional efforts that I put behind it. Mm -hmm. um, I make notes now, you know, I make these to-do lists and try to maximize those 24 hours. Like I've gotten this done, but at the same time, keep it with that compassion because I'm not going to always get it done and it's okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to put all that extra um, burden on myself. Mm -hmm. I'm getting things done. I'm being intentional about it, of how I view it, and while respecting my time and others. Mm -hmm. So I think that's how I look at the 24 hours that I'm given every day. Mm. Yeah. That's really, really lovely. You, you, you open up talking about love. And yeah. I will always say that love is undefeated. Yeah. And you doing that, making people incredibly important and loving. I would like to say to the audience that there's nothing that we could possibly do that will impact the quality of our lives more than loving, yes. period. And so if we do nothing else, let's try to increase the quality of the way we love one another. So I thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time out to interview me and mm -hmm. getting to the heart of you know what I experienced. And it's been great. So yeah. thank you again to Mr. Boone. Thank you guys for having me. And um, I, I hope you guys listen and listen and listen and, and add any any uh, feedback or yeah. any you know other things that, that could help increase the quality of what we're trying to do here. We're really excited for Miss Logan and, and the uh, coat, uh, the Comcast. I mean, the podcast. podcast. Yep. Yes. I'm sorry. Confessions of a therapist. Confessions of a therapist. Lovely. It's a wrap. Yeah. All right. <laughs>